Um, so as you know, um, I had you write on cards. And um, I've been putting them, clipping them into piles, praying, processing, what is God saying? So last week, I, I didn't say this, um, and I purposefully don't do this. Uh, one of the piles of cards had to do with spiritual warfare. Pastor Joe didn't know that. So I always love how, you know, he just did his thing, what he felt God was saying, which was in regards to spiritual warfare. And I had several cards that were related to that. Um, and so as I was processing what Pastor Joe said in regards to spiritual warfare, and then as I was looking at the cards for this week, um, I could summarize these cards, and I'm not going to read them just because there's a few things that are a little bit more personal, but the overall theme is struggling in difficult relationships, okay? Um, so I do think that there's some interlock between spiritual warfare and struggling in difficult relationships, and we can see that in this text, which is part of the reason why I chose this particular one. Um, so with that heart and with that intention, I'm really going to focus primarily on Judas and Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of other people that are involved with this, obviously a lot of other disciples, but that's going to be what I'm going to look at today is Judas and Jesus. Um, today will not be a to-do list on what to do to have a great relationship with people when you're struggling and have difficult things. If you want to do that, you could write down uh, you can look in Google, passage on how to treat others in the Bible. You can Google that, uh, passage on how to treat others in the Bible. You will find one si uh, website, which I clicked on just as a random one. It was called like Open Bible or something like that. There are a hundred passages just on how one another should be treated according to Scripture. So if you're looking for to-do lists, they're there. They're, I mean, and primarily most of the text was New Testament. The, the Bible is very explicit. It is very black and white when it comes to how we should treat one another. But for me, uh, I get in trouble with to-do lists uh, for several different reasons. Number one, because my list always seems to grow. It never reduces. I always feel like I can do more or I don't do it well enough. And then I question what I do. Can you relate to that? So as we're looking at how we can treat one another, I think it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of perfectionism, um, right and wrong, moralism, and all that kind of stuff. And that's not my goal. Uh, I listened to a song uh, several weeks ago, and I keep on reflecting on the words. You can do two clicks, Tom. This is, the, this is kind of the heart and the tension in, that I, I experience. This is from a song called The Cross Made the Change, and it's by a a uh, collective of uh, worshipers called Common Hymnal. And the passage from this particular song says, when we see Jesus, we become like Jesus. When we know how he sees us, we will never be the same. And I keep on wrestling with that, especially in regards to my relationship with him, bless you, and in my relationship with other people. I want us to see Jesus in this text because I feel like when we see who Jesus is, it transforms us. Now, I'm really good at giving legalistic perspectives. Like, trust me, I can do that. I can give you all the religious things to do. But what I see with Jesus is well beyond religious activity. It is pure, unadulterated, raw love. And when we come into to view of that and we see that, like the song says, when, when we know that that's how he sees us, 
we shouldn't be the same. So when I look at this text, um, this is a story, and it's starting from the foundation. I mean, Jesus did a lot of other things. I mean, we're, in John's particular gospel, we're on the back end of it, right? So a lot of stuff has happened, and John's telling this story as the best friend of Jesus. It's pretty cool, right? Like, he's the best friend of Jesus. Pretty good uh, friend to have, I would say. Um, and so he's looking at it from the uh, beloved. He's the one that probably more than any of the other disciples gets the love of Jesus. Like he understands some implicit things that maybe the other disciples don't. So he's writing this from that perspective. But this story isn't just a story of love. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of struggle. It's a story of difficulty. It's real relationship. Um, how many in this room have been hurt by somebody? Go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> how many of you have been betrayed by somebody? Raise your hand. How many of you have been offended by somebody? Raise your hand. I could keep the list, right? We could just do this the whole time. Like, yes. I mean, that's reality, right? Like, we're broken people that are really good at breaking people. We're really good at that. Sometimes we're passive-aggressive. Sometimes we're overt. But just as we've been offended, we've also offended. Just as we've hurt, we've also hurt other people. And so when we look at the story of Judas, I'm just going to point out some particular things. But I want you to consider for a moment, what is a relationship that you're struggling with? Who is a person that you're struggling to love? Maybe you're that person for somebody else. So hold that perspective, too. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe you need to consider how to love someone else, but maybe you need to consider how you're like Judas. I'm like Judas. Now, again, this could be a, con a condemning sort of proclamation, but I think this is an opportunity to see this who Jesus is, his love, and that it can transform us. So if you would, could you just look at the Bible with me? It's on page 876 because I want to point out, I mean, it's impossible for me in the quantity of time we have to go through all 30 verses, but I think I would love for you to follow along with particular things because I want you to see what's happening here. I want you to see the contrasts, the tension John is a really good writer, too. Um, so it's on page 876. I'm going to start in verse uh, 1 from passage 13. So I'll just read it. Now, before the festival of the Passover, so I'm going to pause as I read it. So this is like, you know, in liturgical cal calendar for Lutherans, we have the Reformation Day, or we have the All Saints Day. Like, we have times in our calendar that mark specific events, and they have meaning to us. And the Passover, you know, dates all the way back to the Exodus story. And it's so this, this Sabbath reminder of what God has done in their midst and what he's doing in their midst. And you can imagine at this particular instance, remember, they're under Roman rule and authority, which isn't that different than the Egyptian rule and authority, right? So this Passover story has meaning. It's about victory. It's about liberation. It's about being set free from their oppressors. So they're being reminded of that. So I'm going to continue. So Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the, path, uh, and go to the Father. 
So again, this is a story of liberation and victory. He knew his time had come, that he had walked his journey as long as he could walk it, and now he was being called to be alongside of his father. But here is where it gets really interesting. It could have stopped there, and we could have gone cut right to the, the scene of the cross. But John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he what? He loved them to the end. Now, for me, I get like goosebumps when I think about that. Having loved his own who are in the world, and who is his own? Certainly it's his disciples, certainly it's his followers, but humanity in general. And what did he do? He loved them to the end. Now, consider for a moment, when somebody hurts you, are you one that really loves them to the end? Are you more like, I'm cussing you out in my head right now. (laughs) Don't really like you. (laughs) Right? And it's this real struggle. Why is this powerful is because what John says next. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And we know later on in the text that Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him. So it wasn't going to be a surprise for him. When he looked Judas in the eyes... He knew beforehand that was his betrayer, his accuser. Now, I I like there's a a translation that says common from the Common English Bible. I know it's weird to read already put into the heart of Judas. Um, Let me read it this way. The devil had already provoked Judas. I really uh, provoked, right? Like tempted, provoked him and said. And and how, how are we provoked in relationship? How are we tempted to break relationship? It always deals with identity. So let me use an example. Christine and I are very close, right? And there's times when we communicate and we have very clear communication. I didn't tell you I was going to do it. (laughs) I know, that's because we're close. Um, But sometimes we have broken communication. And in broken communication, the first thing that it's going to be attacked is identity. Is Christine for me? Or is she against me? Am I for her or is she against me? Right? You see that conflict? Think about all the tension when you're in your workplace and you're having this rough dialogue with somebody. Are you for me or are you against me? Are you hearing me or are you not hearing me? Are we really friends or are we not friends? Are we really beloved or not beloved? And it's the same when we look at our relationship with God. Is this challenge of, are you really good? Are you really loving? Do you have my best interest at heart? Am I truly your beloved son or daughter? And so there's conflict, and that conflict builds tension, and you start to see this stretching and ripping that takes effect. So we're we're being provoked. We're being provoked to to act opposite of the way that we're made to act. I'm not talking about religious activity. What are we created for? Whole, healthy, loving relationship. So most certainly, spiritual warfare is ultimately the enemy saying, you're not created for that. You're not created for whole, healthy love, whether it be to give or to receive. No, they hurt you. No, they don't understand you. You don't deserve that. Have you ever had those thoughts in your head before? You're being provoked, by the way. You're being provoked to pull away from 
a meaningful relationship, to see reconciliation and restoration and healing. Judas was being provoked. Verse 2, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of, of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. So and during supper, so this is, now John is setting the scene. So there's some things that happened beforehand. So how did I, I put as my example, Jesus knew. Notice that Jesus knew that his hour had come. And so how does he respond? He loves them to the end. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew. How did Jesus know? You could say that out loud. How would Jesus know these things? How would he know his time had come? How would Jesus know that he was to love them to the end? How would Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? How did he know? He's God, yeah. But he's fully human, fully God. Huh? Yeah. In verse 1, it contrasts Jesus' relationship with his father. He spent time with his father. Perfect love is conducive towards perfect love. When we spend time with the Father and we see His heart and His desire and His love, what is built up and transformed inside of us? Love. Whereas Judas, for whatever reason, and, and I always found it interesting, especially this week, why, why? I mean, we know who Judas is. It's not like it's a surprise who it is. But John chose to mention Judas and his Father. It's like this sharp contrast, isn't it? Jesus and his father, Judas and his father. Jesus is provoked into love. Judas is provoked away from love. And I don't know the relationship that Judas had with his father, but it gets interesting, doesn't it? So during supper, Jesus, what? Knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So what is John doing here? He's saying, what did Jesus know because of his father, because of his perfect relationship with his father, because he took time to know his father and his father's heart for him? Authority and power. Jesus knows at that table, well, it's not really a table, so imagine a U-shape, okay? It's a U-shape. The food's in the middle, and the disciples are sitting around the food, and I'm not going to lay down because the people in the back can't see it, but imagine with this U-shape, the food's here in the middle, that all the disciples are resting on their elbow, face first to the food, and their feet are backwards. Now, culturally, why that happens is a slave would come around. So normally, with Passover, I don't know if you've ever seen TV. We don't see Jewish symbolism a lot, but it's actually not too different, and I'm going to use this as an example. Have you ever watched TV and, and a Muslim, before they go in to pray, have you ever seen what they've done? They wash their hands, and they wash their head. And Jewish culture isn't very different from that. I just use that example because we see that a lot more on TV, right? But this cleansing that takes place. So they've already experienced this cleansing, which is why... Jesus says about the whole head and the hands and stuff like that. But what hasn't been cleaned yet is the feet. And so a slave would come around while they're dining, and they don't even have to look at the slave because they're eating. 
conversing. So the slave is an outlier. The he, he or she is the one that's just coming around, and it would have been a he because they're men, and washing the feet. The ignored, the cast aside. Not just servant, subservant. So Jesus knows that the Father has given him all things. Where? Into his hands, which is a symbol of power and authority. Now, when you all have a little bit of power, what do you do? Let's be honest. We, we flex that power, don't we? Kind of pop out our chest like, yeah, look what I got. We get the promotion. We're like, yes, look at me, right? Hey, Mike. We get excited about authority and power. We're taught to be excited about authority and power. We're taught for the promotion. We're taught about all these things. That's where we are culturally. And Jesus' culture is no different. And think about it. Who is Jesus when he's at the cross and there's a crown that's put over his head and it's actually the first translation of Scripture because it was written in Greek and Aramaic. It says, the king of the Jews. I mean, literally, he is the king. He has the power. He has the authority. And he knows that. And he could have responded so differently. I can't remember who said it, but he could have just popped up onto his throne and been like, you know, I'm going to overthrow Rome. I'm going to do it the way that you anticipate, the way that you expect. So when, in the moment of all authority and all power, what does he do? He strips himself to become like a slave. Not a servant. This is important. A slave. That, that basic garment... And that's why, can you imagine, I mean, you're, you're just eating. Can you imagine if we're eating like at Dressed a Girl and all of a sudden I just start taking off my robe? <laughs> right? That would be awkward, right? What kind of pastor do we have? <laughs> but think about it. He's taking off this robe, which is also a symbol of power and authority and status. And I mean, he didn't have a lot. We know that. But he takes off his robe. He's wearing this undergarment. And then he goes. He got up from the table, and he took off his outer robe, and then he tied a towel around himself. Notice that the way that he's going to dry their feet is attached to him. It's not apart from him. You know, like we have our hand towels. No, he's tying it to him. Can you imagine? I mean, it's drawing. It's, he's making a statement here to these disciples of his. These ones that he's going to love to the very end. He's saying that love to the very end is going to look like this. Not me standing on a throne. It's going to be me washing your feet. And I'm going to dry them. So he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. It doesn't say in the text, well, he got to Judas and was like, oh, you're my betrayer, psych. <laughs> Never mind the disciples' feet, his betrayer, the one that he knew was stealing from him, the one that he knew was going to sell him for a few pieces of metal, coin. I can't imagine what that was like for Jesus, but can you imagine what it's like for Judas? That internal struggle. So Peter, he, um, he does his thing. Mr. You know, typical Peter, 
And Jesus responds to him. I'm going to go down to verse 11. John's reemphasizing. In the midst of all of this, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. That's, that's really difficult for me. That's tough. And I think what, what it's pointing out is sometimes, sometimes people don't receive perfect love. Sometimes people don't receive love to the end. But did that change the way that Jesus responded to Judas? Like, typical Sean. Hey, Tom, I'm going to love you really well, but only if you love me equally back. Right? And if you don't, well, I'm going to pull back a little bit. And then I'm going to give, but if you don't love me, I'm going to pull back a little bit. Because you didn't meet me in the way that I met you. Do you love like that sometimes? I won't make you raise your hand. I know the answer. We all do it. But Jesus, and this is how he knew that it was perfect love. He did it just because he loved, not because of how Judas would respond. He already knew how Judas was going to respond. This whole thing about you won't understand this until this happens, and then you'll understand, the disciples are like, dang, he washed Judas's feet. Dang. What? And then Peter, who know, he doesn't know yet he's going to betray Jesus and run from Jesus, and the disciples don't know how they're going to respond. They're going to say, I can't. He, what? That's the kind of love that provokes uh, greater love. So continue, fast forward. You call me, this verse 13, you, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for this is what I am. And so he's explaining what he's doing. So if I, your Lord and teacher, notice he doesn't say king of all kings. He said Lord and teacher. He's, he's showing a healthy form of relationship. I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. So he's telling them, be slaves of love towards one another. Ooh. Okay, Jesus. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So he's reemphasizing being a slave to love. And then, as if we didn't get the point, very truly, I tell you, servants, and the Greek is slaves, are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. And so he's pointing out to them, hear what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying, but also do what I'm saying. And who is Jesus a messenger of? His Father. So he's not doing anything greater than the Father. He's just doing what the Father is asking of him. And so then he reemphasizes, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. They don't know who he's chosen. And by the way, did he choose Judas? Yes. He chose Judas. But it is also to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now I'm going to fast forward. Um, verse 21, it says, After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Um, when you love well, I can commit to you one thing. 
you will also hurt and suffer. That's how you know you're loving well. Like if you're holding with reservation, if you're holding back your love towards somebody that you struggle with, why do you do that? It's to protect yourself, right? Understandably so. It's like, no, you hurt me. But let me just pause for a moment. I'm not talking about the abusive relationships. I'm not talking about the harmful, hateful relationships. I'm talking about the people that you struggle with. That maybe because of the way that they responded to you and because you love them and they've hurt you, you've put up a little bit of a wall. Maybe, maybe it's just a tiny little itty-bitty wall. But there's a wall there. And you put that wall up so that way in that, that specific area... They won't hurt you anymore. So maybe, let me give you an example. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's not a good listener. And you're like, I'm not going to tell you because you don't listen to me. (laughs) Wall. Wall. And so with that wall, naturally over time it builds. And that connection that you had, that's wrought out of healthy communication is no longer there. Jesus breaks down walls. And I love that John points out Jesus was troubled because just because he loves perfectly to the end doesn't mean it, he can avoid being hurt. It doesn't mean that inside it doesn't cause turmoil. It doesn't mean that he won't be in pain as a result of this kind of love. And then Jesus just does it again, and I'm like, man, you really are serious about love. So they're all reclining. Peter, you know, he's done his thing, and he's like, hey, John. Like, hey, find out who he's talking about. And you can understand why Peter would say that, because he's like, bro, it can't be me. Like, it can't be me. I hope it's not me, right? That's, that's Sean's reflection on Peter. Like, I can see him like, dang, is that me? I don't Because <laughs> I'm a little bit crazy, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I have given this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Now, well, oftentimes when we see that, we see that as an act of betrayal. But in the culture, if I give you food, do you know what that is? It's a sign of friendship. I'm taking this food that's mine, that's been in my hand, and I'm giving it to you. Do you realize that every single one of the disciples received that bread that night? Judas included. The betrayer, the accuser. I mean, what? In his troubled heart, out of love, he takes bread and he says, I know what you're going to do, but I give you this. Now, we know what Judas's heart was. It says that Satan entered into him, and Pastor Joe talked a little bit last week. So, so we see this progression of Judas betrayed, or like Judas is provoked, and then Judas, in that provocation, he left a foothold, right, of brokenness. And we all have those footholds in our relationships where we're provoked towards brokenness rather than reconciliation and restoration. And in that moment, and we knew, Jesus knew the story how it was going to go beforehand, right? But he still gave that bread. 
Not because he had to, because he wanted to, because he loves Judas. He dies for Judas just as much as he dies for us. Isn't that crazy? But because there was a foothold, Judas had a decision, and Judas's decision was, well, and that's where it says center. It's like your house is open, the door is open, and the friendship of Jesus can come into you, or you can reject it and close the door, but that doesn't mean your house is empty. And in this case, we see what Judas's decision was. And so Jesus says, hey, do quickly. And obviously the disciples, they don't understand. They think, oh, well, you know, because he's going to do this or he's going to do that, right? They don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. And um, one of my favorite uh, theologians, N.T. Wright, he points out something I never noticed before, and this is why I love, I mean, I love the book of John in general, but I love John's writing. Verse 30, so after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out. It could have stopped right there. But what does it say? And it was night. into darkness. This question that we have about struggling, I know I'm talking a lot, you know, they're really patient. This love about uh, uh, that we struggle and that we, that we fight through and stuff like that, that does not mean those people won't walk into the night. And it doesn't mean that you will prevent them from walking into the light or into the night. We love because we are first love. Plain and simple. We love because we are first love. Jesus, this is just some of the foundation. We know later he is betrayed by every single one of his disciples, except for the women, by the way. <laughs> Let me point that out. We say disciples, but there were women disciples too. There were women followers, and where were they at? They were at the feet of the cross. And I have to think that they implicitly understood something about love that all the other disciples missed. And remember when Jesus is saying to his beloved disciple, take care of this one that I love, my mother. There's just so much love that's happening in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of death, because love conquers all things. And he shows a perfect display of love. So I'm going to ask you to do something. This is maybe, is there a person that you're struggling with. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or say their name, but there might be. I'm going to dare you to do something. Maybe even now. How many of you have phones? How many of you have smartphones? It is as simple as a text. I'm thinking of you. I care for you. Maybe it's a call right? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving you the easiest entry point, right? A text message, like five words. I am thinking of, oh, I'm thinking of you. Or if I, I love you, right? Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's tomorrow. <laughs> One step towards love. One step towards love. Remember, it doesn't matter how they receive it. They may be walking in darkness. Maybe. Maybe they're in the night already. But does that mean that you can't show them love? 
I know, that's super challenging. But hey, Jesus, that's all I'm going to say. This is the invitation that Jesus uh, gives us. So, consider for a moment what it means to be transformed by Jesus. I, I, when we see Jesus, we become like Jesus. When we know how he sees us, we will never be the same. I want you all to hold on to I want to hold on to that. I want to see Jesus because I don't want to be the same Sean I was yesterday. I want to be a different Sean. I want to be, look more like Jesus. And I want that for all of us as well. So that's one invitation. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text message. I'm just asking you, if you're bold enough, go ahead and do it. Do it right now. I don't care. <laughs> um, but at a minimum, pray about it. God, how am I supposed to love? I'm not even going to say these, these Judases in my life, <laughs> right? <laughs> not saying that. But just how am I supposed to love this person that I'm struggling with? How am I supposed to love this difficult person? And see what God does. Um, let me pray for us all. Uh, God... I thank you uh, that you are a God of love, and you showed us your love at Passover. You showed us that true liberation, I mean, because that's what Passover was all about, is freedom wrought out of your work. True liberation, true freedom is love. And you show us that time and time and time again, your kingdom, you are love and so, Lord, I pray right now, we are kingdom people. We are beloved sons and daughters. We are image bearers out of your love. We are created out of your love, that we could be a part of the multiplication and the flourishing of love here on earth, that we could just be vessels of love. God, there are difficult people in our lives, no doubt, and there are people that have hurt us, and those walls are up for a reason. It's to protect us. So God, as we extend ourselves again, because many of these people that we struggle with, we've been trying to love them for a really long time. So God, as these walls come down, I know that you will be our hedge of protection. That where we are troubled and we are suffering, um, that we won't become truly hopeless because we know that you're inviting us into reconciliation and restoration. God, for those in our life that are walking in the night right now, just like Judas was, um, I have to believe that their heart is hurting and that they're walking in the night because they're searching for something. And so maybe it isn't our love, but maybe it's the work that you're doing in somebody else that can love them and they can receive that love. Um, God, your words are challenging, and I don't ignore that. Uh, what I said I know this morning is challenging, but I, I, I see it as a beautiful invitation, is that you yourself became like a slave, not just like a slave, you became a slave and died on the cross. It's mind-boggling, but if you can do it, I feel like you can show us the way into that story. Give us the strength and the courage to follow your ways, to see you, and to respond. God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for House of God, for this family that you have built. And I pray that you show us and teach us what it means to love one another well. And I pray this, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.